I'm always intrigued by the big picture of things. And let me give you an example of what I mean. All of history has been lived one person at a time, one moment at a time, in millions of different places around the world. But when you step back and put all of those people and places and moments together with God's providence and sovereignty at the controls, the result is an amazing mosaic of time and eternity. I love to research, and and if somebody is famous and, and somebody has made an impact, even if it's a negative impact, on the world and on history, I like to find out where they came from, where they were born, and I like to read about their parents and their grandparents if that information is available. And I like to see, you know, this person whose name became a household word. By the way, can I ask you a question? This, you're going to say this is horrible, but I just want to make sure. I, I checked with my wife to see if, is my mind twisted? And, and, and she confirmed that no, it's not. Either that or that hers is too. But um, Dr. Henry Heimlich died yesterday. That's the truth. What's the first question that came to your mind when you heard that the man who, he didn't choke to death, right? Okay, so anyway, so I just, that's terrible, isn't it? But uh, so, uh, but, but somebody like that, okay? Dr. Henry Heimlich uh, names a household word. Well, I want to know a little bit about him uh, when, when, when his name comes up. I want to know, you know, uh, where, where did he come from, his parents and, and so forth. And, and I'm intrigued by the thought of, man, these, you know, this man who went to work every day, this lady who, uh, whatever she did, if she went to work every day or she raised nine kids or, or did this, that, and the other, did they have any idea that they were raising a child that, who, who was going to have such an impact on the world? Senator John Glenn passing away. Uh, did, did they, and I'm just intrigued by their background and their story. And I, I was intrigued to read of uh, one time, uh, my son got me a, a biography of, of uh, Eisenhower a couple of years ago. And I think it was in that book that uh, it, somebody asked Dwight Eisenhower's mother, are you proud of your son? And she said, which one? She had two sons, and her other son was, you know, compared to Dwight Eisenhower, was just an obscure name. Uh, she said, which one? She said, I have two sons. I'm proud of both of them. Which one are you asking about? And, of course, she's being a little, you know, uh, smart aleck there. But, but she's saying, okay, so I have one son that is world famous, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm proud of both of my sons and that I, I, I raised them uh, both to be good, strong men. And I'm just always intrigued by the background and how it all fits into this tremendous mosaic of history. So let me read the statement again that I just read. All of history has been lived one person at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, in millions of different places around the world. But when you step back and put all those people and places and moments together with God's providence and sovereignty at the controls, 
The result is an amazing mosaic of time and eternity. And I think a great example of that is the genealogy that we just read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And verse 17 breaks down the genealogy of Jesus into three parts, okay? So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the carrying away into, into Babylon, we call the captivity, are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. So Matthew 1.17 breaks down the history of Israel into three parts, each of 14 generations. Abraham to David, David to the captivity, the captivity to Christ. Isn't it amazing that all this tremendous history, never has there been a nation that has impacted the world like the nation of Israel has. And in these, this, this, this amazing narrative of Abraham to, to Jesus, and God breaks it down in this verse to three sections. Abraham to David, David to the captivity, and the captivity to Jesus Christ. Now, there are three sections that are not equivalent necessarily in years, although I honestly haven't done the years, but equivalent in generations. So I'm going to make one observation about each of these three parts, and I'm going to make three general observations about the entire history. And they're going to be practical truths. I'm always looking for spiritual truth that we gain from what the Bible tells us. And so let me talk about for just a second from Abraham to David. From Abraham to David. Think about the story of Abraham. A man and his wife that God had said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And for the rest of Abraham's life, the first time that we're told that Abraham was told that by God, he was 75 years old. And he lived the rest of his life and the only evidence he saw of that great nation was one son. They lived their entire adult life chasing the promise of becoming a great nation. And the only progress they made in their lifetime was to have one son. And that was after they had come to the conclusion that Sarah was barren. She was never going to have children. So from Abraham to David, in 14 generations. Now, 14 generations is a long time, but consider, on the other hand, that it's not such a long time, okay? Uh, I don't know how many people fit into this. How many, how many uh, grandparents do we, do we have here? Raise your hand if you're a grandparent. Okay, of those of you with your hand up, keep your hand up if... You also, not only are you a grandparent, but you remember any of your grandparents. I think that everybody's hand is still up. Okay, so if you are a grandparent and you can remember your grandparents, that's five generations. That's you, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, 
your, um, your, your grandparents. Of those of you that are grandparents, can any of you remember your great-grandparents? That's six generations. Is there anybody who is a great-grandparent and you can remember your great-grandparents? Anybody like that? Nobody who's willing to admit it. Okay, so, so I was going to say, because if we got to seven, we're halfway to 14. But six is pretty close to halfway to 14. So you can see just within your peripheral lifetime, I think I just made up a phrase there, within your peripheral lifetime, you can see almost halfway to 14. So even though 14 is a long time, uh, in some ways, It's not a terribly long time when you consider that in 14 generations, Israel went from one couple, one barren couple, to being a nation led by the man that I would have to call, and I'm sure historians would would disagree, but I think most Bible historians would agree the greatest king in history, King David. In 14 generations, they went from being one man and his wife, and his wife couldn't have children, to being a nation led by the greatest king in history. And here's a truth that I want you to remember. When you're in God's plan, God is always taking you to greatness even if you can't see it. Who along this pathway from Abraham to David would not have loved if if they could have a view of David? Okay, here's the end result here. Here's the end game. King David. Amazing leader. Amazing warrior. Just unbelievable. I don't think we comprehend what David did as a leader, as a king. And and can you imagine being Isaac and being able to just sort of see in the future? Oh, wow. My life is leading to that? Yeah, I'm in. I want that. Well, here's the thing. When you're in the will of God, if you could see what your life is leading to, you would take it every time. Oh, man. Sometimes it doesn't feel like your life is progressing, like God is using your life to lead to greatness, does it? Sometimes it it just sort of feels like you're just trudging along. Sometimes it just feels like Man, I'm just, I'm just surviving. And surely Abraham felt that way sometimes when he was 80, 85, 90 years old and chasing a dream that never seemed to come to, to, to material, materialize. I'm sure that Isaac felt that way sometimes. I'm sure that Jacob felt that way sometimes. I'm sure that so many men in this line from Abraham to David felt that way but there was a David in the future. So from Abraham to David, 14 generations. 
Israel went from being one childless couple to being a nation led by the greatest king in history. When you're in God's plan, when you're in God's plan, and let me restate God's plan, God's will. Sometimes we get tired of hearing about God's will. I'll never forget a, uh, a way, way back in the, in the probably uh, just three or four years in the VFW days, and uh, this, this uh, awesome cowboy family just just we're in Brewster and I'm talking about a cowboy single mom and her cowboy son and cowboy daughter came into came into church just cool I mean they were so cowboy we went to rodeo with them one time they were cowboy and I'm going what are you doing in Brewster New York and um but anyway and I probably said too much because now I, I I hate to finish the story but um she the, the mom had really been through a difficult time, and uh, her her husband had really treated their family badly, and we had them over our house. I'll never forget sitting in our in our kitchen, and I'm trying to I'm talking about the will of God in a positive light, and she's hearing me every time I say the will of God, she's hearing it in a negative light, and I, you know I'm talking about hey. Just seek God's will in all this. Seek where, he, seek where he's taking you, what he's doing in your life. All she's hearing is the will of God as an excuse for why all the bad things happen. In other words, will of God equals blame it on God. God did this to you. God's hurting to you. God, God's hurting you. God's, God's crushing you in the ground. I never used the will of God in that context, but apparently she had heard it used in that context. And uh, ever since then, when I used the will of God, I, I, I can see her. She, Amy and I were sitting at the table. She was standing up, uh, leaning against the, the uh, cabinets, and, and she just absolutely interrupted me and said, Don't tell me about the will of God. I said, wow, this lady's been, she's been hurt, and somebody has used the will of God as the reason that she's been hurt. Oh, man, I don't look at the will of God that way. The will of God to me is like the greatest, the, the, the ultimate opportunity and privilege in the world to be in God's will. doesn't mean that you're living sinlessly. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean even that you're a great Christian. It just means that you're heart and your purpose and your eyes are, God, I want to go the direction you want me to go. Do you know where modern Christianity is at? And I don't want to get too far down this road, but you know where 2016 Christianity is at? We, we're on our path and we want God to go with us. That's not Bible Christianity. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The will of God means I'm not trying to get God to go with me down my path. It means that I am daily surrendering to be on God's path. God, what is your path for me? Where are we going? Where do you want me to go? Because, Lord, I want to be with you. And in the will of God, when you're in that place, call the will of God for your life. God has always taken you to greatness. Second part of this 
genealogy, this lineage, from David to the captivity. So in 14 generations, God takes Israel from a barren couple, a childless couple, to a nation led by the greatest king in history. But then from David to the captivity, what about that? In 14 generations, Israel went from her greatest days to her most uncertain days. Man, as, as, as the best that, as you can picture Jerusalem, picture in your mind's eye the, the celebration of David being made king and picture, if you will, David taking Jerusalem and making it the capital city. And picture the victory celebration as David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem becomes the city of David, Mount Zion. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised is the city of our God, the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. That's under David, the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you will, turn and picture a little cave outside the northern wall of Jerusalem. And the prophet Jeremiah sits in that cave. And he looks out over the city in just piles of stone and smoke and blood. And he writes the book of Lamentations. And the uncertainty, I mean, to Jeremiah, it felt like the end. And to people there, it certainly felt like the end. And in 14 generations, the same amount of time that it took to go from a childless couple to Israel's highest days, their most glorious days under King David, that same amount of time roughly is what it took to go from Israel's highest days to uncertainty, darkness, lamentation. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by, Jeremiah said. And you don't, you don't care. And I believe it was the prophet Obadiah who wrote about Edom, the next-door neighbor, the descendants of, of Esau, laughing. Laughing at Israel in her time of sorrow and destruction. All in the same amount of time. In the same amount of time that it took to go from Abraham to David, it, David to the captivity. And here's the lesson. When it seems like you're on top, remember that you can still fall the bottom. The victory. Oh, listen. Praise the Lord for wonderful days in our, in our church. And some of you have had days. You've had days of, uh, we've had days of a church without a building. Some of you had day, have had days with a, of a church without a pastor. 
Some of you may have had days of living in a place where there was no church at all. And you've had different experiences. And compare those days. Think those of you that have had days of sitting in a church where you can't remember the last time you had a visitor. And when a visitor came, you didn't know how to treat them. And compare that to this morning where there were people standing all over the place and all kinds of visitors, dozens of of first-time visitors and all kinds of, and I love, by the way, I wish I, uh, um, you got to hear Brother Zach's testimony about um, what they're doing with Facebook and uh, how, how they're using Facebook to just like randomly advertise what's going on in our church in the, I don't even understand it all, and, and getting positive comment, com- comments and positive feedback from people all over the Danbury area who don't even go here. Taking a 30-second taking a clip of a, of a message preached here and just putting it out there so that people, as they're going through their, their Facebook uh, timeline, news feed, uh, news feed that um, they're they're uh, they're coming across a message, listening to it for for thirty seconds, and saying I like that or whatever you do on Facebook, and uh, by by random people that live all over the area that we don't even know who they are, and compare that to the days of no visitors, or living in a place where there's no church, or having a church with no pastor. Or having a church with no building, and it seems like you're, we're never going to get a building. Man, we're in a good place. Don't forget. Don't forget. We can fall from the place of God's blessing. We can be standing outside of a church with its doors locked saying, boy, remember those days? Whatever happened to that? And hey, there's a thousand different ways that can happen. I'm saying cherish what God has given us and the gift that he's given to us. David to the captivity, 14 generations. Israel went from her greatest days to her most uncertain days. Thirdly, the captivity to Christ. In 14 generations, Israel went from her most uncertain days to fulfilling her ultimate purpose. Jesus Christ is the ultimate purpose of the nation of Israel. And think about those Israelites walking in chains, being led out of the city gates of Jerusalem. I'm calling them Israelites, and I realize they were of Judah and all that, but we're the lineage of Abraham. We're calling them Israelites. Taking that long, difficult walk. Picture a teenager named Daniel. What is going on? Very likely that he had just watched his parents be butchered. I don't know, very likely, very possible. And he's one of many people that's being led in shackles to Babylon. In the background, he can hear the screams and the burning and the terror in the city that he loves. No future, no hope. But Daniel, it's just 14 generations before your nation. 
Hey, if you look in the rear view, 14 generations is King David. You can't see it, but in the future, 14 generations is Jesus Christ, the ultimate purpose of this nation. I say to you, when it seems there's no hope, if you'll stay on track with God, he will take you to your eternal purpose. How many times has someone in our church said to me, Pastor, I'm just at my wit's end. I can't take it anymore. And I don't have any magic wand. I don't have, you know, I wish I had some, you know, a a spiritual pill. And say, hey, just take one of these and you're going to make it. I don't have that. But I do have this and say, just, hey, take more of this and you're going to make it. Not read your Bible more and you'll be okay. That's not it. Take in this truth. Digest this truth. Because here's what I know about God. No matter what your circumstance is, child of God, here's what I know about God. You just stay in there with God, you're going to get there. God has never failed at that. So, people of Judah, people of Jerusalem, your whole world is in, in shambles as you make your way to Babylon And there's no future, there's no hope. In the same amount of generations from David to this low spot, you will get back to your ultimate purpose, the purpose that will change the world. You will have as your offspring, Jesus Christ. When it seems there's no hope, If you'll stay on track with God, he'll take you to eternal purpose. So as you read Matthew chapter 1, you go, oh, it's just another one of them list of names. I hope you'll see more than just another one of them list of names. See the spiritual roller coaster ride that is the lineage of Jesus Christ. I'll just be a couple more minutes. Let me give you three final observations. Number one, every individual has a story. I I sort of turned a little corner here. But go back to verses 2 and 3 and 4, okay? Abraham, we know his story. Isaac, Jacob, even Judah, who was Joseph's brother. We know his story some of it. And the further you go, Perez, some of you know his story a little bit. Zerah, Esram, Aram, Aminadab. I don't know any of their stories, but let me tell you what, their story is just as important as Abraham Isaac, and Jacob. Now, wait a second. God didn't tell us their story. So maybe there's not as much to be gained when it comes to spiritual insight. But if they had not lived and if they had not filled their slot, guess what? Humanly speaking, I mean, God's always going to make his will come to pass. But humanly speaking, there's a gap. There's a link missing in the chain. Your story in the will of God, we're talking in the will of God, your story matters. And other people in the will of God, their story matters. Take the time to hear people's story. Don't see people just as what they can do for you and how they can advantage you and and how they help your cause. But listen to their story because Perez and Esram and Aram and Aminadab are just as important to this link, this chain that leads to Jesus Christ as Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Obed and Jesse 
We don't know as much about some of them, but they matter just as much to the story. Listen, everybody, everybody, everyone's story matters. Every individual has a story. Secondly, I want you to notice this. Every person in God's plan matters. Now, there's two sides of this. First of all, there's no unimportant person in the will of God. But then there's another side of that. If you want your life to matter, live in God's will. Let me say a word about that, and then we'll go to the third one. We'll be finished. You know, if you're really going to sell out to God, if you're really going to sell out to God, the world does not value, they do not place a value on what you will do. Okay? If I had given my life to medicine, which I would not have because there's no way I'm cutting people and looking inside and stuff. So let's go law because there's more. that's more me, all right? If I had given my life to law, I would have the far more potential to be impressive and to have a value in the eyes of people. But I spend my life, you know, I go door to door. And by the way, it's amazing to me. And I had this happen just just this week as I'm going door to door. I'm always amazed. Men who are at home in the middle of the day are far less likely to open the door. It's like there's the screen door with the with the storm glass windows and they they won't unlock it. Yet a lady will be home in the middle of the day and here's this big goof coming to your door. You have no idea who he is or what he's going to do and they will just open up that door and you know and it always amazes me, like, you know, like I'll be, I'll be going, you know, my name is Joe Vasco, pastor of Northeast Baptist, and inside I'm thinking, lady, are you armed? How do you, you have no idea, and yet you're fully open this door up like everything's cool, and yet these men are, you know, <laughs> yes, and, and can I slide this, pa- um, could you leave it and I'll get it later, like, <laughs> wow, anyway, that just amazes me, but so I, I mean, tens of thousands of times I have introduced myself as pastor of a church. And tens of thousands of times I've seen just how unimpressed people are with that. Why is that? Because it's just natural that people don't place a value on what we do. It's not a pastor thing. It's a Christ thing. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you too. They don't hate me like I wish you'd drop dead. They're just not. It's not in the list of things that I think are really important. So if what you do, listen, I'm still trying to, to get to a little point here. If what you're do, you do is going to matter to you, even though the rest of the world might not value it, you're going to have to stay focused on the fact that I'm in the will of God and what I do matters to God. What I do, if I lead a person to Christ, it's never going to be on the news. I've seen feel-good newspaper articles about the stupidest things. And I think, man, our church can go and feed you know, 150 homeless people in a day. 
not a word. And I'm not looking for credit. I'm just saying what, what people value. I mean, you know, front page picture, this guy saved a kitty cat from a tree. He's a hero. Really? <laughs> and, and yet, you know, we, we have servers. Not only are free people fed, but 20 people trusted Christ as Savior. Well, that's never going to be in the news times. Why? And, and I'm not, I don't blame them. They don't value what we do. I say to you, there's no unimportant person in the will of God. Thirdly, lastly, I love this. No matter how dark and confusing life gets, if you're in God's will, don't lose hope. God is always working. Now look at verses 12 through 15. After they were brought to Babylon, Jeconius begot Salathiel, Salathiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiyad, Abiyad. Now we're really getting into some people that we never heard of. All right, Zerubbabel, I'm assuming that's the same Zerubbabel in the book of Ezra. But outside of that, Abiyad, Eliakim, Azer, Sadok. Do they have any idea as things get darker and darker and more obscure as far as Israel's history? Do they have any idea that you're getting one generation at a time, you're getting closer and closer to the Messiah? Oh, I wish. We know how the story ends. If we could have talked to Jaconius, we would say, don't lose sight, don't lose hope, Jaconius. There's a Jesus coming. If we could look at Abiad, if we could talk to him, we'd say, hey, don't lose hope, Abiad, there's a Jesus coming. If we could talk to Sadok, we'd say, hey, Sadok, don't lose hope, there's a Jesus coming. Or Iliad, don't lose hope, there's a Jesus coming. And let me say to you, on the dark days, the difficult days, the days where you feel like, man, where's my life going? What am I accomplishing? Don't lose hope. The will of God is coming. Jesus is coming again. Stay in there. God's using you. God's doing big things. God's doing big things. I'm all done, but let me close with this thought. One thing that has motivated me, I'm not kidding you, since I was about seven years old, and the older I get, the more it has motivated me is that I've always believed that God was going to use me to do something for him. I don't have to be a famous evangelist. I don't have to have tens of thousands of people listening to me preach. One person getting saved is a big thing. I don't know if you noticed, but, but Brother Dalton said last, he was, I was listening to I was getting ready this morning, in his Sunday morning sermon, he talked about, uh, uh, I believe it was John, Gano, who was pastor of the church in uh, New York City, the founding pastor of the First Baptist Church in Manhattan. And there was a stretch in his ministry. I think it was when he was in Morristown, New Jersey, and he was there for a number of years and had one convert. But that convert went on to start 10 churches. I'm saying God's going to, you've got to believe, Sunday school teachers, you go to that class week after week after week, bus worker, a soul winner, a servant of God, servant of Christ, whatever it is that you do, week after week, day after day, year after year, 
God's doing something. He's using you in big ways for eternity. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look at the lineage of our Savior to